0: Do you have what it takes to command the crew of the Enterprise as well as Captain Jean-Luc Picard? Well, let's find out with Star Trek, the next generation of final unity, this week on the Upper Memory Block Podcast.
1: So what shall it be? Do you join the unity, or do you die here? Join.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 100 of the Upper Memory Vlog podcast. I'm your host, Joe, and I am at long last back with you guys to talk about a game from the DOS and pre-Windows XP gaming era. My God, guys, it's, 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 it's been a long time. It's been since October of 2016, since, uh, the arrival of the, the UM baby that, uh, you know, I haven't been back, I haven't been doing real episodes, you know, we did a hangout and we've had a, a bunch of guest shows in, in the feed, which, you know, I, I just really, 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 really right off the bat have to thank, uh, you know, the folks that, that answered the call and, uh, made me some guest shows that I could put out there just to keep things rolling and, uh. You know, because I know as well as anyone, doing this, doing a show like this one is a lot of work, and uh, I think they all they all figured that out pretty quickly. But uh, you know, just just to keep things rolling and, and to keep keep some stuff coming out, and and frankly to to learn some things about games that I I really didn't know anything about. I had not played any of uh, of the the guest show games. And uh, you know, a special shout out to Trolls for getting a dev interview the first uh, the first dev interview on on the UMB cast. That was really super well done, and and the other guys that did the rest of uh, rest of the guest shows super amazing. So yes, I am back. I am here. There's a show ready to rock. It's episode 100, uh, almost uh, just in time for the shows fourth or fifth anniversary whichever one it is i know cuz my birthday was uh, was yesterday and i started the show shortly after my birthday i think end of this month just around there is uh, is the show's anniversary i think it's fifth 2012 13 14 15 16 17 2017 yeah i think 2017 is the fifth year of the show so um yeah we've been going for a long time and uh thank you all listeners for your patience with me and uh, you know getting uh, <laughs> my my life if you want to put it that way, uh, back on track after, uh, after the birth of, uh, of the UM baby. So, uh, you know, quick, quick update. She is well, she is sleeping. She's almost generally sleeping through the night. And, uh, my wife and I both feel like uh, human beings again. So yes, it's uh, it's a long time to get back to it. So enough about that. Um, we've got a whole, you know, there's a backlog of emails. I'm not going to go through all of the emails that have come in, uh, over the, the break, if you will. But, uh, you know, there's a few that came in for this episode specifically and uh, before this episode. So uh, we're going to roll right into those.
1: You are listening to the Upper Podcast.
0: Okay, so our first email comes from guest host extraordinaire Father Beast. And Father Beast writes, Dear Joe and all the blockers, I first discovered your podcast after your guest stint on Treks in Sci-Fi, and uh, I looked forward to uh, when you would cover Star Trek 25th Anniversary and Star Trek Judgment Rights on the upper memory block so I could tell about my experience. Unfortunately, when the time came, you ran a rerun of your Treks in Sci-Fi episode, so I didn't write in at that time. So, since I imagine the Final Unity to be sort of along the same lines as the earlier games... I figured I would take this opportunity to, uh, to talk about those games. Let's see. I think it was 1992, and uh, I was at the home of a friend, and his wife showed up uh, one afternoon with an early birthday present for him, a Sound Blaster card for their computer. She also brought home Star Trek 25th
1: anniversary,
0: <laughs> anniversary and uh, I got a chance to play it myself some weeks later after everyone else had had a shot. Wow. I loved this game. It caught the feeling of the original series so well, from how it divided the mission into episodes, to the little snide comments between Spock and McCoy. Uh, I laughed myself silly when I accidentally got the redshirt killed in the first mission, and McCoy walks over and says, he's dead, Jim. I didn't get very far playing it at their house, and I didn't have a computer that could run it at my place. At that time, my wife and I were rocking our little Commodore 64. Uh, Some years later, around 1999 or so, When we had gotten a CD-ROM drive for Christmas, I discovered that a store a few towns away specialized in used CDs, both music and computer. I went down and uh, brought back two CDs, which were Companions of Xanth and Star Trek 25th Anniversary Edition CD-ROM Enhanced Edition. It ran fine on our computer, and I played it again, having just as much fun and giggles as I had had previously. This time, I finished the first mission and started the second one, but only got a little way into that one. I must have gotten distracted by something, but I don't know what. In later computers, I would sometimes bring it out, but the fact that I couldn't get sound in DOS games anymore made me disinclined to play it anymore. That changed with the coming of DOSBox, and I was excited to get it running again, but I'd become jaded by that time, and the hassle of actually getting out the CD-ROM seemed like too much uh, trouble a lot of the time. In 2009, my wife got me computer games for Christmas that she had gotten at the grocery store. Amazed, uh, I went to the store and looked. Sure enough, there were some computer games marked cheap next to the magazine rack— I saw they had Star Trek Judgment rights, and I snapped it up. I had heard it was like 25th anniversary, but had more episodes. Uh, When I got home, I popped it into the CD-ROM drive, and... nothing. No autoplay? Hmm. I did a directory on the CD, and it was completely empty, except for a useless CFG file. I had been ripped off. I tried going back to the store, but it seemed I had no recourse to actually get the game. So sad. This last year, I snapped up both 25th Anniversary and Judgment Rights on GOG. I think when they were on sale. I hope I have time to play them sometime soon. Thanks for listening, and I hope to find out if a final Unity was as good as the TOS games. Father Beast. Well, thank you, Father Beast. and um Yeah, you know, I, it was sort of a... Uh, a question as to whether or not I should do like a proper UMB on the Star Trek games or just sub in my, my Treks and Sci-Fi episode, the Treks and Sci-Fi app on those, uh, on those, uh, games was a little bit less technical than I tend to get on, on this show. But, uh, you know, I think it's a, it's a pretty reasonable and, and complete, uh, accounting of, uh, of those games. And, uh, yeah, you know, they're, they're, they're really, really, really great, Uh, probably I haven't played a lot of the later kind of space combat-y, uh, Star Trek games, but they, they probably remain, I think judgment rights more because it's a more kind of, it's sort of the same as 25th anniversary, but better. Like they kind of took the things that were annoying about 25th anniversary and really, and got rid of them sort of, uh, amped it up a little bit, better missions, more missions, better graphics, uh, a little bit and uh and all that so yeah i think basically those two are my top uh, my top tos games and uh yeah we will see if a final unity holds up so that's that and um let's get right to it
1: you're listening to the upper memory block podcast time for Over. introducing star trek the next generation of final unity on pc cd run Take the bridge. Make it so. Explore fascinating new worlds. Unravel alien mysteries. And defend the Starship Enterprise. To boldly go where no one has gone before. A final unity from Spectrum Holobite, An original interactive adventure with the actual voices of all the crew.
0: Alright, so without further ado, let's finally get to it. This week... I will be covering Star Trek The Next Generation of Final Unity. This is a single game in what I imagine we'll find out was going to be a series of TNG adventures uh, developed by Spectrum Holobyte and published by Microprose. Uh, This took place after the TV run of Star Trek uh, The Next Generation ended in the year 1995. Okay. So I know I'm a bit rusty at this, but I know for sure the next thing we usually do is talk about genre. I know that because I listened to the guest shows and that's what they did. <laughs> Luckily, uh, we have visited this territory before. By and large, a final unity is uh, very solidly considered an adventure game. What is an adventure game? You're probably not asking. Well, let me tell you. In an adventure game, you are placed in control of a single or group of hero characters who are, through some twist of storytelling, tasked with a mission or quest. Uh, This quest can take on almost any form, from something very mundane and simple all the way up to potentially saving all of existence. Uh, This quest can be set out in its entirety right at the start of the game, like, uh, hey, hero, save the kidnapped princess or find these three treasures. Or, as we will see in this game, it can develop in small increments as you progress through uh, the game world and the story. So to make said progress, you take your character or characters through the game's world, exploring, collecting information and objects that uh, usually get stored in some type of inventory system, Uh, these objects and this knowledge, not to mention your character's personality and communication skills are used to overcome a series of puzzles that block your progress. Adventure games are infamous for throwing all manner of puzzles, ranging from the mundane find-a-key-to-unlock-this-door to to the very complex uh, types of puzzles involving knowledge of a wide range of subjects, both within the game world and in a more practical sense. Things like math and science and trivia and... God, you know, sticking cat hair on your face. (laughs) Blah, 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 blah. Um, There's uh, lots... of of other ways to describe adventures and there are entire podcasts devoted to them, but eventually uh, you'll have solved enough puzzles. You'll have talked to enough NPCs and you'll have beat your head uh, against enough leaps of logic to come to a resolution and complete your journey with what is hopefully a satisfying ending. Uh, There's a few ways in which uh, this particular game differs from the traditional adventure template. And we'll get into those in the gameplay section. All right. So since this is an adventure game, uh, I, I always like to say when uh, we talk about story, which is what we're talking about now, uh, that uh, the story is uh, paramount and of utmost importance in uh, in these types of games. Now, given that this is also a franchise tie in game, it, uh, of course, takes place in the Star Trek universe. Now, if you're a big Trek fan. Like I am, we can get right down to the nitty gritty here. And if you're not, well, bear with me and you'll, you'll figure it out. So this game follows the continuing adventures of Captain Jean-Luc Picard and the crew of the USS Enterprise NCC-1701D, the fifth Starfleet ship to bear the name Enterprise, as depicted in uh, one of the most iconic television series of all time, in my opinion, at the very least, Star Trek The Next Generation. And actually, if you go back to Star Trek canon and all that, the Enterprise D is not the fifth ship to bear the name Enterprise. It is the fifth ship to bear the registry number NCC-1701. So don't send emails. Haha. <laughs> so as many of us know, uh, the Next Generation, or TNG, as it's referred to colloquially, takes place in the 24th century, about 100-ish years after the events of the original 60s Star Trek series starring William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, and DeForest Kelly. In fact... Since uh, log entries in this game come complete with requisite star dates, we can place the events of a final unity squarely in uh, Next Generation's seventh season, which takes place in the year 2370. Now, if you want to get right down to it, this game takes place from star dates 471211.1 to 47205.3, which puts us in between the first two episodes of the seventh season, Descent Part 2 and something else. So, this is one of those adventure games that uh, reveals its story to the player bit by bit, much like a regular Star Trek episode does. Uh, And that's something that I should get out of the way right now. Even more so than uh, the previous TOS Trek adventure games that I covered previously and that I just talked about, A Final Unity really, 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 really goes out of its way to emulate the structure of a Next Generation episode. Uh, You know, even to the point where, unlike in those original games, the whole game is basically one very long episode. Uh, So, in fact, instead of trying to uh, explain the state of things as the game begins and and blah, 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 I will simply play you the intro, which takes the form of the standard Star Trek pre-credits
2: tease. Captain's log, Stardate 47111.1. A Federation listening post along the Romulan neutral zone has detected an unidentified vessel headed for Federation space. The Enterprise is moving to intercept. At its reported heading and velocity, the vessel
1: will enter Federation space in approximately 47.3 seconds. Go to yellow alert. We have the vessel on sensors. The ship is a Geridian scout ship. They are driving
2: their engines too hard. Their warp core is critical. The Geridians? What is the status of their relationship with the Romulan Empire?
1: They're on friendly terms and may share technology. We are being hailed on screen.
0: Help us. We are fleeing political persecution. We seek asylum. We are being perfect.
2: Their signal is breaking up. What do you make of this, number one? It could
1: be a trick. The Geridians have earned a reputation as Honorable Warrior's Captain. They do not ordinarily resort to trickery. We are within visual range. The Geridians' warp drive is failing.
2: They are dropping to sublight speed inside Federation space. Slow to impulse. Warbird decloaking directly ahead. The Warbird is also Geridian. They are hailing us. This is an internal Geridian matter. Withdraw at once. You are violating Federation space. They have cut off transmission.
1: The Warbird has locked its tractor beam onto the scout ship. Go to red alert.
0: So this sticky situation flows directly into a slightly modified, but still basically faithful copy of the TNG season seven credit sequence, albeit with a MIDI version of the show's theme song and a re-recorded version of uh, Patrick Stewart's Space the Final Frontier voiceover. Uh, This is where the game begins and where we should probably begin talking about gameplay. All right, gameplay time. So this game begins as most Star Trek The Next Generation episodes do with Picard updating us with another
2: Captain's Log. Captain's Log Supplemental. A Garridian warbird has violated the neutral zone in pursuit of a scout ship. The fugitives may be seeking political asylum, but as yet we have been unable to confirm their intentions.
0: So we are now on the bridge of the Enterprise, with Picard standing commandingly in the foreground, surrounded by his trusty bridge crew manning their stations, and we now have control of the mouse. Uh, though most sources say this game is split into two different portions, I actually like to say it's split into three. So the first that we're looking at now is the on-ship portion of the game. Here you act as Captain Picard. Uh, Our current situation is sort of a down and dirty tutorial about the ship side of the game. You, as Picard, are faced with a choice here. Obviously, the Geridian scout ship's crew must be rescued because they are asking for asylum and we're the Federation and we do good stuff like rescue people who ask for asylum. But how do we go about it? Well, no man, even a starship captain, is an island. So the bridge view offers you the opportunity to ping your officers about their thoughts uh, regarding a potential solution. So you can ask the opinions of your first officer, Commander William Riker, your second officer and chief of operations, Lieutenant Commander Data, your ship's counselor, Lieutenant Commander Deanna Troy, or your security chief and tactical officer, Lieutenant Worf. In this case, uh, we could probably take Data's advice, which is to use the hull of the Enterprise to break the tractor beam holding the scout ship and uh, beam the crew aboard. Uh, Obviously, the Geridian of Warbird does not take kindly to this interference. And um, you know, using the view screen, you communicate to the Geridian captain. And again here, if you're good with words, as Picard usually is, uh, you can talk your way to a peaceful solution. However, as I end up doing in my playthrough, uh, you will most likely end up in a fight. And this drops you into what I think, is the second portion of the game, which is the space combat uh, sub-game, whatever you want to call it, controlled by the tactical station on the bridge. Now, let me say this off the bat. The space combat interface is... unintuitive? In all my playthroughs of the game, both back in the 90s and now, I have never been able to get my head around how this thing actually works. Uh, The tactical station allows for full control of the Enterprise's alert level, defensive shields, phasers, and photon torpedoes. Uh, from here, you can also pilot the ship in a combat situation. Uh, again, as with the uh, the talking and uh, bridge portion of the ship, there are a multitude of ways to go about uh, controlling a ship in combat. The first and the easiest way is to simply click the delegate button that has a picture of uh, Lieutenant Worf on it, this uh, setting this button to on delegates control of the ship to your tactical officer who will effectively fight the engagement for you you are free to fire weapons if you desire however there's really no need to do so this is my preferred method of getting through these combat situations Um, if you want to control the ship as the captain would you can execute tactical maneuvers. Uh, this is the equivalent to Picard ordering his bridge crew to execute evasive pattern delta or some such, and uh, ordering tactical to fire torpedoes. This method involves selecting a tactical maneuver, loading weapons, and firing them. So you're still not directly piloting the ship. You're just telling your various officers what to do, which is actually not a bad simulation of you know what a captain would do on a ship in a combat situation. Finally, there's the whole enchilada, full manual control of helm and weapons. Now, the whole battle in all of these options is viewed through a small tactical display window, which uh, shows your ship and the enemy ship. And uh, in manual mode... You can pilot the ship directly with the numeric keypad you also manually trigger the firing of weapons set the alert level set energy distribution and uh, even the power level of phasers and the degree of spread and salvo size of uh, photon torpedo launches you get really 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 uh, get down to it Uh, from this tactical station you can also flip over to the engineering station which shows uh, damage reports and uh you know from that engineering console you can either Try and manage repair priorities yourself, or there's another delegate button here with a picture of uh, Jordy LaForge, your chief engineer, on it. And uh, if you set that to on, he will manage uh, repairs in whichever way he deems appropriate. Basically, you know, more important systems first, blah, blah, blah. Now, the game manual devotes 13 pages to uh, the tactical combat game. And while I don't love it, I'm sure there are people who do. So, if uh, if you got in trouble, if you didn't uh, talk your way out of things, uh, we can only hope you survive the fight. Basically, if you set it to auto fight, you will most likely survive. Now we find out our, uh, our next steps. We've uh, resolved the situation with the Geridian Warbird. They've gone off, and uh, we should probably have a talk with our new passengers, the uh, the refugees from the scout ship. We find out they're Geridian Rebels, searching for what they call the Fifth Scroll, an artifact they feel will have a positive effect on the class structure of Garridian society. They request that Picard put them in contact with a Vulcan archaeologist who may have information on the scroll. Now, uh, we can set course for this Vulcan archaeologist. We can continue our patrol along the neutral zone, but before long, the Enterprise receives a distress call from Merton's orbital station. Uh, they've been attacked, and their experimental reactor is threatening to go critical. This would destroy the station and cause massive damage to the nearby planet. Uh, interestingly, unlike in other adventure games, some events in a final unity are actually optional. Uh, you can choose to ignore this call if uh, you consider your trip to the archaeological site or your boring, uh, effectively pointless patrol along the neutral zone uh, to be more pressing, but we're not going to do that because you know that's not what Captain Picard would do. Using the astrogation console on the bridge, uh, a course is set for Mertens, and then we wait. When traveling, you don't really have a lot to do aside from sit and watch the distance to destination sort of tick down until you get to where you're going. In fact, at one point, I hit some kind of subspace disturbance and uh, I had to sit stranded while the ship repairs itself. I may talk about that again in a little bit. So, on arrival, uh, we are finally able to discuss the third aspect of a final unity away missions. Away missions are where you spend the bulk of your time. This is also where the more traditional aspects of adventure gameplay present themselves. So, we know we need to assemble an away team. This is where the game's difficulty level comes into play. So, you've said when, when you started your game, you set a difficulty level to one of three options ensign, lieutenant, and captain. At the Ensign level, away teams and equipment are pre-selected and locked. At Lieutenant, the suggested away team composition is pre-filled, but you have the option of overriding it to whatever else you want. At the Captain level, you make all the decisions about team composition and equipment. A standard away team comes equipped with a phaser and a tricorder. Other items such as med kits, medical tricorders, and other fancy stuff like that are optional, but you know, depending on the type of mission you're going on, you'll probably need them. So with your select, either pre-selected or manually selected away team, uh, you beam down to the station. Uh, the default for this mission is Riker Wharf, uh, Crusher, and LaForge, uh, and you begin exploring the station and figuring out what exactly has gone wrong here. Upon arrival to the station, you see that it has been damaged externally. There's a piece of the station missing, but hey, let's uh, let's see what's going on. Again, here we generally encounter all the standard adventure tropes. Uh, The difference between most games that I've talked about thus far, aside from, you know, maybe Maniac Mansion and Day of the Tentacle, uh, is uh, that aside from one character, you have four, and each of these characters has their own specific areas of expertise. Now, not utilizing the appropriate officer for the appropriate task will usually result in, I don't want to say problems, but you know, some, uh, less than optimal uh, outcomes, like, you know, having Riker try to solve a complex engineering problem will probably result in a less ideal solution, uh, than you'd get having uh Geordi take a look, giving the medical tricorder to wharf might result in a dead patient versus giving it to Dr. Crusher. Um, one somewhat notable aspect of away missions aside from the fact that, you know, they, they move the story forward is that they usually have multiple solutions that are uh, dependent on which set of officers you take with you and, uh, which officers you choose among that subset to accomplish each task. Even something as simple as talking to an NPC with one officer over another can change the outcome of a conversation and thus the direction of your investigations. One kind of, it's not a big kind of spoilery thing from this very early Merton's mission is that, you know, once you, you walk around the station and get to a certain point, you'll find, uh, you know, one of the stations might be the station's chief engineer or one of the engineers or whatever. And, you know, my sort of default thought is to uh, talk to him with Riker because Riker's the commander. He's the leader of the the away mission. So he should be the spokesperson. And if you talk to him with Riker, you'll kind of come to a certain conclusion, which might be not necessarily the ideal solution. Whereas if you were to talk to him initially with Geordi, they'd you know nerd out and come up with the the right you know the, the best solution possible you control your away team in uh i guess what i would say is pretty much the sierra style with walk look talk use and inventory icons uh you control one team member at a time however if you exit a screen the whole team comes along uh while the controls may be familiar i can't say they're quite as intuitive as the sierra or lucas uis that you know we we like to talk about um The inventory is a single row of eight icons that scrolls left and right should you acquire more items than that. Uh, Also, this game boasts very large, very expansive environments, which sounds pretty cool, except for the painfully slow default lock speed uh you can actually hold shift to speed up the walk speed which i had forgotten about when i replayed the game for this episode because it's like just a little line in the manual and uh yeah you spend a lot of time staring at your people slowly walking across the screen so you progress at whichever speed you desire through merton orbital station or merton's orbital station and come to one of the multiple solutions to resolve the situation uh, once back on the Enterprise, Starfleet lets you know what they think of your performance. If you you really half-assed it, they may even scold you a little bit by saying they're they're disappointed and you know that you couldn't do whatever. They're disappointed that you didn't do. Now the end of the game progresses in this manner. Sometimes there's a bit more ship combat, but usually the the main thrust of the game is this adventure style away mission. Uh, portion. Also, much like other solving a mystery type TNG episodes, the events develop into a much more critical situation than uh, the whole thing seems when uh, when the game first begins. There's really a lot here. There's a lot. This is a, a long game. There's a lot of steps, a lot of stages, a lot of story, and uh, you know, I don't want to do. I've, I I don't usually like to spoil that stuff in case people want to play the game. So suffice it to say. This little portion is very early on, and there's a lot more to come after this.
1: You're listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast. Time for...
0: Okay, tech focus time. Well, this game was a little bit of a beast to run. To run it at all, you needed at least a 486DX, 33 megahertz, or better CPU. This is one of the few games that I know of that actually required you to have a math coprocessor that came with the uh, the DX version of the 486 chip. I think I read that it would run without it, but it would not run well. I'm sure there's other games that require this, but wow, I mean, guys, this is an adventure game. Math coprocessor? Hey, fancy. I suspect it has to do with the ship combat sequences more than anything, but yeah, it's pretty impressive. Um, on top of that CPU, you needed at least 8 megs of RAM, MS-DOS 5 or higher as an operating system, and uh, the game also features support for all flavors of Sound Blaster up to the AWE32, the Pro Audio Spectrum, and sonic soundscape 16 which i've never heard of before and the gravis ultrasound conspicuously missing are any roland or general midi devices even though there is certainly MIDI music throughout this game i actually ran into a super strange bug which caused the game to crash out on me in DOSBox. it appears at least in the version of the game that i i was playing that there's either a bug in the sound blaster pro and sound blaster 16 drivers or at least some form of incompatibility between them and DOSBox's emulation of those cards, which causes the game to crash after the initial splash screen loads, uh, likely once the, the sound drivers are initialized. The solution? Well, after some googling, it turns out you simply have to use the, uh, the good old original Sound Blaster driver and everything works. Still, that absolutely took some time and I spent much more time in the game's installer than I would have liked. Uh, also, uh, from the installer, you could uh, select from uh, a set of video modes. Now, the game boasted some pretty good-looking uh, pre-rendered CGI kind of full-motion video cutscenes. Uh, and depending on your computer's capabilities, you could play those cutscenes in either 320x200 or 640 by 480 at either 256, 32,768, or 65,000 five hundred and thirty six colors you also had the option of keeping them at uh, native resolution or uh stretch them out to full screen if you had the horsepower for it now there's also one other button on this screen uh which allowed you to turn univeza that's u-n-i-v-e-s-a off or on now i had to do some digging because again i had no idea what the crap this thing was uh so the bulk of this game runs in SVGA, that is 640 by 480 at 256 colors. And uh I know that the uh Vesa in Univeza likely refers to Vesa Local Bus, which was the first of the uh at least I think it was the first of the high-speed uh graphics buses that came into being because uh ISA was just too slow to handle the high-res graphics of uh of the time, kind of the the SVGA graphics. Um so it turns out that Univeza, Univisa, Vesa, whatever you want to call it, was a, a third party software driver that offered enhanced performance and compatibility for video cards designed to the Vesa standard. This was obviously before the advent of the uh, PCI and AGP buses. Uh, the problem was with this whole situation, that uh, many video cards at the time had had pretty poor native implementations of the VESA Local Bus Standard, and that led to widespread performance and reliability issues in relation to many DOS games that tried to uh, to use those cards. Uh, because of this, Kendall Bennett, who was the lead developer at SciTech Software, decided it would be a good idea to write what he called the Universal VESA TSR. And uh, this was effectively... A more consistent and stable implementation of the Vesa standard, which would allow DOS games to use Vesa Local Bus in a consistent and stable manner. Many games, a final Unity included, shipped with versions of the Univesa TSR. So if you were to experience video issues on your machine, it was advisable to try turning on Univesa to see if uh, it fixed things up for you. So finally. Since I like to talk about music in this portion as well, in this section, on the musical front, the game's tunes were composed or adapted by a team led by Paul Mogg. That's M O G G. Uh, Mogg was born in Salisbury, Wiltshire, in the UK, and uh, the musician and uh, composer came over to the United States at one point and began work uh, pretty quickly at Spectrum Holobyte, where he scored many of their games, a final Unity included. Uh, He would eventually move on to EA and eventually leave the games industry in the early 2000s. Um I kind of feel like cuz I like giving my opinion about these things at this point that the original music that's created in the game sounds pretty damn good like you heard a little bit of it in the uh, in the intro there. I liked that. But uh I sort of found that the adaptations of the TNG theme which uh which you've heard kind of over this section was uh not so great i don't know i felt it. it felt a little crappy uh in comparison to say the uh, the tos uh midi adaptation from uh from the, the 25th anniversary in judgment rights games but uh you know i've the other pieces of music pretty pretty good so uh yeah i don't know sort of mixed reviews for me on the, on the music
1: you're listening to the upper memory block podcast Time
0: for Okay, dev story time. So I don't believe I've ever talked about a Spectrum Holobyte game before. Uh, so Spectrum Holobyte, uh, the company, was founded in 1983 by Jeff Souter, Phil Adam, and Mike Franklin. Um, of course, the first thing most of us think of when it comes to Spectrum Holobyte are simulations. I mean, these are the guys that created the Falcon series, uh, among many other vehicle sims. And one thing they were absolutely one hundred percent not known for were uh adventure games, however, uh, the chairman of the company, Gilman Louie had uh, apparently always from the inception of Spectrum holobyte dreamed of getting his hands on a Star trek license and uh you know his desire was to make good games about this beloved series now back in nineteen eighty two uh before the company the year before the company's official founding paramount who owned all of all of star trek at the time now the ownership of star trek is split between paramount and cbs but at the time paramount put out a call and uh they basically said hey worldwide rights to make star trek video games would cost one lucky development house a mere thirty thousand us dollars now even in 1982 this was not a lot of money i guess paramount didn't really have a lot of faith in the uh, fledgling video game industry at the time uh despite Star Trek's place in its early history with games like uh, Begin and and all of that. Now, even at this bargain price, uh, Louis didn't have the money. He was a college kid, and his parents had already taken out a second mortgage on their house to help him found this new company, so uh, the coveted license sort of passed him by. Now, we'd see many early Trek games come and go, including the two uh, Interplay games I've already covered. Well, those those two... uh, released while 25th anniversary i think maybe in judgment rights while they were in development over at interplay paramount went out looking again and this time louis wouldn't be deterred he petitioned maxwell charitable trust who were part owners of spectrum holobite at this point to shell out the money for the new license so in 1991 for an undisclosed sum spectrum holobite picked up the rights to make star trek games for multiple platforms for the next five years so license in hand they got to it uh Matthias Genser 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 anyways whatever was given the role of executive producer on the project and uh it was quickly decided that the game would be released on cd-rom and uh and would take the form of a traditional next generation story Uh, the script for this fairly again lengthy game took over nine months to complete and was closely monitored by paramount staffers now this was true to the point that uh tng staff writer Naran shankar who uh who is now i believe the executive producer or something to that effect on on the expanse which is a super great series if you haven't seen it uh shankar actually has a writing credit on the game. Initially though, uh, you know, the thought maybe before they decided on CD-ROM or anything like that was uh, you know, they were going to have a standard text-based adventure game, but uh with the storage capacity of the whole CD-ROM format uh in addition to having the backing of Paramount led them quickly to change their minds and get almost I don't even want to say almost, I think the entire main cast to uh to return and record over 15,000 lines of dialogue. Uh, you know, this this very complex script was further complicated by the fact that, uh, you know, any combination of characters could be taken on any away mission. This, of course, added copia- copious amounts of redundant dialogue that most players would never hear if, uh, if they decided against taking some combination of crew members on a specific mission, uh, next generation co-producer, Wendy Nuss, 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 I'm bad at names today, but, uh, you know, Wendy Nuss was brought in. To help coordinate the voiceover sessions. And uh since this voiceover work was done after uh the run of the show ended, being you know, all characters were very comfortable in their roles and knew their characters at this point, the actors were consulted uh on on the script as as they were recording. They suggested dialogue changes, which further delayed things and further complicated the massive recording effort. So it really was a lot of work to get all the VO. recorded for this game and uh i have to admit the the main characters i know uh i read an interview with michael dorn and he hadn't done a lot of vo at that point i believe he may this is 95 i'm not sure when they they probably would have done the vo closer to the end so he probably would have done his stuff as dr john and gabriel knight already but uh you know he talks about vo work as being very very difficult and very different from uh from acting but uh you know i found that the um the voiceover work of from the main cast was was very well done and uh, the voiceover work from the kind of the secondary characters and and you know aliens and all that was was generally good but some some better better than others so uh, the game featured the voices of Patrick Stewart, Jonathan Frakes, Brent Spiner, Gates McFadden, Marina Sirtis, LeVar Burton and Majel Barrett Roddenberry all reprising the roles from the show, uh, in addition to, as I said, a slew of other voiceover actors rounding out the the pretty substantial cast. Now, on top of the script and dialogue, uh, the team really was uh, trying to aim for the the stars here. They, they set out to model an entire region of space known as the Kridnar Navigation Block, which contained over 3,000 navigable stars and 15 thousand planets now i wasn't able to find what their plans were for all of these planets uh perhaps there was some sort of uh exploration mini game sort of like uh you know star or or something like that where you you know gather resources or, or discover new worlds or something like that but um you know much like the 25th anniversary and, and judgment rights uh star maps All the stars are there. 15,000 planets exist around those stars. There's effectively no use for any of these planets outside of those that are directly implicated in the story. So, you know, there was probably a lot more there. But uh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, The team also intended to model all aspects of the operation of the Starship Enterprise. To do this, they consulted series technical advisors Michael and Denise Akuda. Uh, I'm sure the company's simulation experience translated into the game's combat system, but, you know, they, they really, for their first, it wasn't their first adventure game, but this is by far the biggest game that Spectrum Holobyte had, uh, had tried to build by this point in time. And, uh, it does seem like they bit off a little bit more than they could chew. So, you know, with a game, this massive, deadline slipped the game was originally intended to release shortly after interplay star trek 25th anniversary uh that game released in late 1992 final unity was supposed to release kind of mid 93 ish uh, the date slipped new date was promised that one was also missed and uh, after the second deadline uh no no additional date was announced it was simply stated that hey the game would be out when it was done that game from their original release date in mid 93 ended up being may 31st 1995 which is basically two years late despite this uh you know the game reviewed pretty well uh, quite well in fact with reviewers saying it really did feel true to its source material and was quite enjoyable despite the somewhat clunky battle system and uh somewhat slow paced gameplay and that's just not the the, from the perspective of walking to the actual gameplay was considered to be not super exciting necessarily very slow paced very methodical a lot of talking blah 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 but overall good reviews so what does the future hold for star trek a final unity um frankly nothing that i can see though i'd actually think a remaster of this game with an improved combat system and kind of higher res graphics would be amazingly cool however i've not seen or heard anything to that effect and i don't think anything like that is in the works or has a desire to be in the works or anything like that so where can you get a final unity today well, as far as I can see, there's nowhere that you can get it in legal digital format. However, you can get your hands on a CD-ROM copy relatively cheaply on eBay. And uh aside from my odd Sound Blaster 16 issue, the game runs quite well in DOSBox and uh and to be fair, my problem now that I think about it may have been resolved by applying the game's single post-release patch I didn't think of checking at the time, but uh you know, the other option would have been to try and set up a Gravis Ultrasound, DOS box, or Pro Audio Spectrum. I'm just sort of a sound blaster dork. So uh, that, that's the way I went.
1: Say whatever is in your mind freely. Our conversation will be kept in strict confidence
0: okay so we got a couple of emails and a voicemail and i'm sure these were sent so long ago that the people that sent them have no memory of sending them at all but uh, hey i kept them and i don't think i missed any so uh let's go ahead with our first email from adam and adam writes hey joe i found your podcast about two weeks ago and i'm plugging away at the back episodes i'm about 30 in now and you're doing a wonderful job. I'm incredibly stoked you're covering Star Trek TNG, a final unity as not only is it one of my favorite adventure games, it brings back fond childhood memories. 1987 to 1994 were great years for me, partly due to Star Trek TNG. My dad and I never shared much in common in my younger years until Star Trek, the next generation aired. My dad is a hard worker and still is, but I didn't get to spend much one-on-one time with him. Uh, When I showed interest in the show, he decided it was best to pull me in from outside and watch it with him when it was on. Luckily, when the show was cancelled, he helped me learn the guitar, but to this day, we still watch all of the movies together. Anyways, back on topic, I picked up a Final Unity in the summer of 1996. I fell for it immediately, uh, well, after I finally got it running, that is. It was a boot disc game for me, as my 486 DX266 with 8 megs of RAM could barely handle it and it would lock up if i didn't use the boot disc when i upgraded my machine to a pentium 233 mmx with 32 megs of ram uh the game was no match for me the game's creators must have really loved star trek because the environment was incredible from the accurate ship depiction and original voice actors to the away missions that modeled the entire scope of the series as some of the missions modeled the earlier episodes like the mission on morassia others modeled modern episodes like the mission on merton's orbital station it was true to the atmosphere of the series needless to say i'll be busting out my copy reading the fairly thick manual again and leave reliving this cherished gem of my past looking forward to your take on it keep up the good work well thank you adam and uh you know tng was was so, sort of also a family affair for us i if i remember right where i lived it was on uh And I don't know if this was true everywhere else, but it it was on Saturday nights at seven. And I was young enough when it came out in 1988, uh, 1987, sorry, um, that uh, I I didn't do anything on Saturday nights. So, you know, it was basically the whole family got together and sat down and watched TNG, you know, the episode for the week. And uh, and it was a thing. So, yeah, it was really an event show for me. and, And it was very, very important to me. And I still enjoy it so much to this, you know, to this day. And, um, you know, I'm trying to remember now it must've been, it must've been later. I I definitely remember playing this game later because I also had a 486 DX 266 and I don't think I played it on that. I believe I must've played it on my, uh, my, my Pentium 200, which uh, I believe also had 32 gigs of RAM. And,
1: uh, you
0: know, I remember the game being, being big and and impressive and, and, but I don't remember tons of, uh, performance issues so yeah it must have definitely been on that next machine thank you for that and uh i hope i haven't languished too long and uh you know you were able to get caught up but uh didn't have to wait too long for for a new episode to come out thank you again next we have an email from ty and ty writes joe i love the show and congratulations on the new child i was super excited to hear that you were going to finally review a final unity as I was a huge fan of the next generation, as it was uh, most people, as was as it was for most people who are now in their mid thirties, I remember getting this game at clearance uh, at a clearance sale at on Office Depot, and I think I paid around less than ten dollars, which was a steal even in the mid to late nineties. I was excited because I knew the game would work on my Packard Bell computer, as uh, and as anyone knows about Packard Bell computers, they had a whole. A bunch of hidden gems of goodness, most notably the Journeyman Project, but uh, that's hopefully a future episode at another time. Uh, the game did not disappoint in the least, as uh, it felt like you were in an actual episode of the show, complete with credits and title screens. Uh, it was the gameplay, though, that uh, it never felt like you were ever truly stuck because you could always ask someone for help or their opinion. And sometimes uh, the games progressed, even if you just did nothing, like a foreign ship hailing you which uh, was also quite a novel concept for me. The thing that was by far and away the best thing to a Star Trek geek is that there was a computer option that would list endless entries in history and knowledge of the Star Trek universe, and me being the geek I was, I spent hours combing through the various entries and branches of this. Uh, You could learn more about the Romulans or Klingons than you ever could watching the actual TV show, and uh, that's a credit to Spectrum Holobyte, forgiving not only an intriguing and entertaining game but also a full authentic experience with the real voice voices that not only just uh said lines but uh interactive dialogue between the characters yes there were some minor flaws in the game for instance the tactical slash battle sequences were extremely clunky and there was the morassia away mission that to me felt like it dragged on way too long uh, these things are extremely minor though and overall the game is a gem for fans, but more impressively than just uh, a plain damn good game for anyone. Thanks for the work you put into all this, Ty. Well, thanks, Ty, and um, yeah, no, I, I have to agree, and yeah, I actually didn't get around to mentioning the uh, the library computer that you could access by clicking on uh, on Data's uh, Ops Station, and yeah, there was so there was a lot of stuff in there, a lot of background info about uh, things generally in the star Trek universe, uh, more specifically, uh, planets like Morassia or Horst three or, or whatever games that you would, um, you would visit in the game and, uh, things like that. So super cool. I know that that was something that a lot of games didn't do. And I do love it when they take the time to put in a lot of background information and additional reading, you know, you know, if you're inclined to, to jump in and, uh, and read, that stuff. Thank you again, Ty. Finally, we have a voicemail from Greg. So take it away, Greg.
2: Hello, Joe. Uh, Greg, aka Soul Blazer here. Wanted to give you a audio submission like this episode's game because this is a favorite game of mine. Um, as I'm sure that you're aware about, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I uh, just like you are, and uh, Star Trek: I Final Unity is definitely one of the best Star Trek computer games that have ever made. I think it, um, it, like it's a very fun, like very unique game, and it holds a special place in my heart uh, because it's my very first uh, CD-ROM based game. Uh, I had made do my first year of college. With, uh, like my older uh, Gateway four eighty six computer, um, but in nineteen ninety five, like my sophomore year, uh, we went out and bought a small mini desktop computer because we wanted to we wanted a system that we could lug around uh, if need be. But if but laptops at the time were just too expensive um, and not very powerful, so we ended up with an AST uh, all in one uh, computer with like fifteen flight 15-inch monitor included, uh, uh, 486SX66, like a a quad-speed CD-ROM-based drive, um, and a... uh, and having a CD-ROM drive now meant I could actually explore some of these new games I'd seen, like I'd seen, like some of my friends' houses. And it wasn't very long after that, probably within a couple, probably within a week or two after starting, after starting school, like my regular computer, that I happened to walk into a local GameStop and saw they were having a, um, a sale on the collector's edition version of the game, which came this really big, uh, monster-sized box, and the game and all the documentation for it came this really cool, hard, uh, hard blue box. Like a, a picture, flight uh, a, a, a picture of the crew uh, on the front, and it also included a special, um, a special badge LCD uh, display, which showed various uh, still images, uh, still images like the Enterprise flying and the name of the game, and whatnot. Uh, I still have that. The battery has long since has long since like run down, but um, it was very cool, uh, and it was certainly certainly this day remains remains like remains like one of my most expensive uh, PC purchases. But anyway. I played through this game like in about several days, pretty much straight, and just loved it. Uh, not only was this, not only was the CD-ROM format, but just just so amazing at the time. The game was really, really solidly well done. Uh, the plot was very good, uh, very gripping. Um, the voice acting was excellent. I really enjoyed the wide variety of, of characters, so characters that yeah, uh, you could take along uh, with you on missions. Even though, they, even though there was just suggested, suggested, suggested layout uh, and future replays over the years i always enjoy taking like different people on different missions to see what happens and we'll see and see what kind of dialogue that i get um ship combat is very good uh the enterprise feels like the enterprise should being uh, being such a big ship it handles like a slug um so uh it's very challenging but it's very fun um like for the and like the limited limited, limited, limited amount of time to do it the, the music and the presentation is overall very well done. The games is a solid adventure game without really being too pixel hunting uh, that some of the Sierra and LucasArts games of the past suffered. Uh, most of the objects were pretty easy to see and whatnot, and the crew gave you helpful hints and whatnot. I really appreciated toward the end of the game uh, how there were like, like it was like, uh, different different story paths that you could go down to so that you could always finish the game regardless of uh, to regardless of what happened uh, like in our choices um, and just the the, the the overall presentation was really solidly well done um, I think the uh, I think the uh, the Marissa mission where we're trying to find the lost scientist is for the weakest of the game um, but everything ties together in a very nice convincing way and the game still holds up today I haven't played it recently but I did watch a YouTube a uh, uh, walk through the game uh, not that long ago um, because nowadays it's a lot easier to. To go down memory lane, refresh memories about great games by watching them on YouTube, as opposed to having actually find like find the time and hassle to play them. But um, yeah, I mean the graphics are the graphics by today's standards are are, are still a bit uh, like a little bit crude, of course. But um, everything in the, everything in this package it came together just so very well. It just certainly certainly one of the most amazing Star Trek games out there. Twenty-fifth, uh, twentieth anniversary of Judgment Rights also really hold up there for me, um, but this is definitely up there, up there in the top three, like for me also. Um, in this game, along getting along Command and Conquer, uh, uh, very shortly after, very shortly after I beat this game, really, really op- reopened really me up to the whole wonderful new world of CD-ROM gaming. So, anyway, Joe, very glad you're covering this game. Can't wait to hear your thoughts about it. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure that you're going to love this like as much as I do. And two thumbs up for anybody out there who hasn't played it. Thanks again. All and take care.
0: Well, thanks so much, Greg. Really, really great comments there. And yeah, that that was actually cool too. I, I actually until i did research for for this particular uh episode i i wasn't super aware of like the the super collectors edition fancy version and uh just because i've never really been like a box collector kind of guy like i had a lot of game boxes and i've told the story a hundred times that you know i (laughs) i got rid of them right before i started doing this this episode but yeah i was never a huge collector's edition like even you know a big wow player and i just you know for the boxed versions that i bought i just have the standard editions but uh you know, I sort of sometimes wish that I I, I had some of those cooler, cooler versions with, with bonus bonus stuff in them and, and all that. So yeah, thanks. Thanks very much for that.
1: You're listening to the upper memory podcast.
0: So, does Star Trek a final unity hold up today? Well, let's say this. If what you are looking for is effectively a lost episode of star trek the next generation then this is absolutely the game for you the story is great the voice acting is generally pretty damn good and the fact that there's multiple paths and options and whatever to get through each of the missions is very unique and very cool now that is obviously not to say that this game is not isn't without its problems firstly I feel like this is pretty common in early SVGA games or even early, just in SVGA games in general. I find like transitions between scenes and FMV cutscenes and gameplay is sort of janky and choppy. And there's like sound artifacts and things like that. And, and, you know, it's not really a big knock on this game specifically. It's just sort of a knock, I think on, on the technology of the time, it just didn't feel clean. It always felt a little bit like messed up to me. So, so again, that's, that's not really a, mark against this game or a mark of kind of the mid 90s and graphics um i'm also not a huge fan of most of the art in this game uh the static bridge scene that you interact with when you're on the ship looks sort of like a a little bit amateurish Uh, none of the characters look quite right like they all kind of look like they're very awkward. They're not like standing like humans would stand. So it just, I don't know. And and to me, that seems like it's a it's a pretty important image. It's basically a, a still image with minor animations going on on it. So I, I don't know. It just really, everyone looks like they're a little bit squished and a little bit sideways. And, and I don't know. It just doesn't look quite, quite right to me. Um, aside from that, you can definitely tell as the game progresses progresses that they either brought on more artists in a hurry and didn't and and started running out of time uh, you know early in the game backgrounds are very detailed some of them are almost like merton's orbital station looks super great uh, and as you move through the game though the the backgrounds kind of start to look like less detailed more cartoonish the consistency of the art style sort of goes out the window and and so you know that that's sort of a, a knock against it in my opinion as well Also, as I mentioned already, uh, I'll say it again, the backgrounds are pulled so far out that at times it feels like it takes forever to traverse them. And sometimes there isn't even anything to do on a single massive screen aside from slowly walk across it. Uh, This is likely why they implemented that shift key to run in the first place. And uh, I don't know, are there other adventure games where there's a run key? I mean, I know Sierra games have like had walk speed, but that was more like a, a static setting that you would set and go with it. This is sort of like, oh God, guys, it takes so long to get across these screens, and we're about to release the game. What do we do? Oh, implement a run. You know, like it's just sort of you know, as a programmer working on this, I feel like I'd question the addition of that the, of that run button for no other reason than hey, it takes too long to go somewhere. Just make the background smaller. <laughs> There's no reason for this, anyways. Uh, you know, and finally the space combat and the ship repair aspects of the game eh, they sort of suck but uh you know that's forgivable because there's auto win buttons so you know with all that it may seem like i don't like this game that's, that's not true i really really do yes it absolutely 100 percent, has its issues I, I think that the 25th anniversary in judgment rights tos games are much more solid in that respect but i think they really were trying to push the envelope here and if you are a star trek fan at all especially a TNG fan you owe it to yourself to give this game a play stick it on the easiest difficulty leave the auto fights on and enjoy a very cool well done TNG story with relatively high production values you know aside from a couple of the points that I just made so hey give it a whirl if if, if you can get your hands on it
1: you are listening.
0: So that's that. Oh my god, guys! It's 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 super good to be back. I'm feeling relieved. I'm feeling happy that that I was able to finally get episode number one hundred out. I know a lot of podcasts do super special stuff for episode one hundred, but like I said at the beginning of the last show, you know, given the whole situation with the pseudo hiatus and the guest, you know, fill ins and and the U.N. baby. And all that stuff. I thought the, the most special thing that I could do was to uh, was to just put out a regular show for you guys. So you know, again, thanks for being patient with me through this whole crazy baby process. And uh, you know, now though things are are settled down. She's been sleeping for for a good amount of time, even this evening. And uh, you know, I'm aiming to get back on track. Uh, you know, from the perspective of the schedule. I actually think for for the moment until, you know, I've, when I, when the show first started, I said every two weeks is going to be a show that hasn't happened for a very, very long time. So, you know, what I'm going to aim for for the time being is monthly shows. Um, I'm going to try and put them out maybe, you know, closer to the end of the month. Like, I guess it's what, the 22nd today. So, you know, maybe around the week, you know, kind of the, the last, maybe the last Tuesday of the month is when I'm going to try and schedule shows to come out more regularly. That'll give me sort of a deadline to get them done. It'll give you guys a day to sort of, you know, expect things to come out. And I think with a little more structure, uh, I'll be able to manage my schedule and get the gameplay in, get some YouTube videos up of, uh, of my research sessions. Cause, cause I really do like doing those and I think they're great. And, uh, I know you guys have, uh, have some good things to say about them. And, and I want to up my YouTube presence a little bit too. So, um, You know, with that, uh, I think we can get some more regular content out on the feed, and uh, you know, I'm still still definitely open to guest shows because sometimes the schedule will get away from me. So if I have uh, if there's a game that you like to talk about that you don't think I I'd probably cover something a little more obscure or something that's very special to you, and uh, you know, you want to try and give it a whirl. Then uh hey, feel free, drop me a line, uh, let me know what game you want to cover, and uh I will I will still keep those uh keep those rolling because it's nice to hear other people every once in a while too. So, uh with all that in mind, next time, which will hopefully be around uh you know the last Tuesday in April, uh I'm gonna hit up some more MicroPros, because to me, yeah, this was a published by Microprose game, but it wasn't kind of a traditional Microprose game. Uh, so we're going to go back to uh, what Microprose is known for, simulations. Uh, I feel like flying some planes. So we're going to talk about F-19 Stealth Fighter and F-117A Stealth Fighter 2.0, some really cool games that uh, I played a little bit of back in the day. So uh, interested to see how they hold up. And uh, I know they're available both on uh, on Steam and GOG. So uh, hey. Let's roll with it. So as always, you can send email or audio comments uh, about this show or any previous show to podcast at umbcast.com. Special thanks to Rick Moyer for his great audio work. You can find him over at MoyerMultimedia.com. I know he's uh, become a very busy man over the last uh, little while, but uh, you know he's uh, available for for stuff. Uh, <laughs> drop him a line over at MoyerMultimedia.com. Don't forget, if uh, you enjoy the show, you can become... Uh, a backer of mine you can support me over at patreon.com slash umbcast Uh, if you find some value from the podcast please consider joining my 48 current patrons and donating a dollar or two per show to help me with uh with costs and to hit the next goal of more longer games i want to get some rpgs in there which means i'll have to spend a bit of time playing them and uh you know i'm hoping this uh you know more uh monthly schedule will allow me to uh plan a little bit ahead and uh and stick those in there. Uh, you can check out show notes for this episode and all the others at umbcast.com. Join the Facebook group over at facebook.com/groups/umbcast. Uh, something I haven't added in here as of yet is uh, we have a new Discord server where we've got a bunch of people, uh, you know, sitting there chatting, doing a bunch of stuff. It's it's kind of become my new de facto hangout. So um, I don't have. A place where that invite is uh is set up as of yet but i will add a uh, a link maybe on uh on the website so any other people who are interested can get into the discord server if not hit me up on twitter uh at uh twitter.com slash umb show and uh drop you know just say hey i want an invite to the discord and, and i'll fire one off for you and uh, you can also find me on Twitter personally at BillyBob476. Find the show on YouTube over at youtube.com slash UMBCast. I have a little research session of um, the beginning of this game up to, I believe, uh, the end of Mertens and over to finding uh, the Vulcan Scientist. So that's that was a fun one to do. Uh, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Stream us live at Stitcher Radio. That is that. And we will see you next time for F-117A Stealth Fighter here in the upper memory block. Battle
1: control terminated. You've been listening to the Upper Memory Block Podcast with Joe Mastroianni. For more information on the podcast, visit umbcast.com. That's umbcast.com. Write to Joe today at podcast at umbcast.com. That's podcast at umbcast.com. So what shall it be? Do you join the unity or do you die here? Join. Join.